Also, I did get text from Ray Horfold, my, my brother-in-law, you all know Ray, but he told me to tell you hello and send that and pass that along to you all as well. So uh, I got to spend some time with him this week and this morning he said, tell everybody hi. So also. So this week, this series that we're going to look at, and I'm going to get used to it being over here, um, is called Walking Confidently Towards Heaven. And as we think about this, over the next four days, it's going to be my goal to share with you what the Bible says our walk towards heaven should look like. And I won't say it's going to be all-inclusive and 100% picture perfect because each of us are different, so our walks are going to be a little different. But I think there's going to be some principles and core values that we can look at in God's Word to say this is what our walk should be like. But like any journey, we have to begin. So I'm going to start today looking at this part of the walk, and I want to begin by asking a question. And being this is a class, I hope you'll indulge me a little bit in this question, but I'd like to see, by a show of hands, how many of you know you're going to heaven? Okay, that's a pretty good amount. Um, you know, I, I was somewhere before and that question was asked, and it was kind of slow because you kind of well, am I the judge of that? Can I say that? But if you'll bear with me, the point is, I think that we can all, hopefully by the end of this week and maybe by the end of the next lesson, when we ask that question again, everyone in here that has obeyed the plan of the gospel will raise their hand and go, I know where I'm going. Uh, so, so I think that will be great for us uh, to consider this. You know, I wonder why some of us don't feel confident sometimes when we ask that question of ourselves. And I don't mean this to be a shaming question or a question that puts you on the spot. But I long to help you see and know, because I asked the question and I didn't raise my hand. I'll, I'll scream, yes, I know I'm going to heaven. But we need to have and find a place where we can rest in the peaceful fact that we're going to heaven. If we've done what the gospel says to do. You know, Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, there is an if to that question. Since it's the Lord's home, in order to be there with Him, we must obey Him as we, we look at this. So if you've obeyed the Lord and the Creator, therefore, He gets to make the rules. He gets to, to tell you. So that if is if you've obeyed the Lord, then you can scream yes. I'm going to heaven. So today's lesson might seem a little elementary to some, so please bear with me, but it's kind of like baseball training, you know. In the spring, all the guys go out, the ones that get paid a, a small amount, which is still a big amount to a lot of us, and some of the ones that make a big amount on spring training, they still go out and they practice batting. They still go out and they practice pitching. They still go out and they, they practice fielding the ball. Well, today, if this is a recap of a lesson for you because you know where you're going, this is a great reminder that when you get done, you're going to be able to remind others of why they need to obey the gospel and how they can be confident in their home in heaven. But, as I said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the truth of the matter is that God is holy and he can't be anywhere around sin. Isaiah 59.2 tells us, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah 59.2. Now I'm worried. Okay, I did turn that on. Because God is holy, 
He can't bear to be near sin. You know, we're separated from him. And that's one of those scary thoughts when you think about that. If you're sitting there thinking that you're in sin, then you should have that fear of that thought. And it should be scary to you because you have something between you and the God of heaven. But God is also a God of love and mercy. And we have to remember that because when we're separated from him, it's because we stepped away. But he loves his creation and he wants to be with us. So we have to make sure we stay close to him. In a verse that reminds us, if I don't even put it on the board, John 3.16, most people would quote it in their head. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, he's made the way. You know, this is always what God has wanted. He wants a people that will be his and to spend our lives together with him. Even when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden of Eden, death was the consequence of sin because of their sin. You know, God is holy. He can't be anywhere sin is. And we need to remember that point as we look at this this morning. You know, the consequence of sin is death. You know, it, some have maybe went through the big picture uh, material that King Craig has put out, but there's a physical death of our bodies because of sin. There's a spiritual death of our souls for eternity because of sin. And there's even a judicial type of a death, a final eternal condemnation someday when we stand before the Lord possibly. But gratefully, there's another if. God is so loving and merciful and just that he made a way for his creation, us, to be able to be with him again. And that's the exciting part of what we kick off this series about when we talk about walking towards heaven. You see, he is a just God. He is a good God. He is, he is unfathomable in some ways. But on the flip side of that, he is also just and he will punish evil. And I'm glad for the justice system, even though it's uh, maybe messed up in our, the way we live at it. But God's system is not messed up. There's a penalty for wrongdoing, but there's a reward for the, the ones that do what the law says. God's love and mercy will be there for us and take us through. So if we look on, though, and we keep building on this. So again, like I said, I know this is going to be some of the first principles, but let's keep building. Hebrews 9.22 says, According to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Blood was the payment for sin. That was the point of the animal sacrifice under the law of Moses. An innocent animal had to die in order to make the relationship right again with the Lord. But those animal sacrifices weren't complete. They just carried forward. They carried forward. You know, the system of animal sacrifice was a temporary covering for sin. And it was just a symbol. It was a foreshadowing. It was a of a time when God would send his own perfect spotless lamb to die once and for all. And that's where the good news of Jesus comes in. For thousands of years, people sacrificed animals for sin, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't complete. So we go on to places like Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. In a few of these, I'm sorry, I know it just won't fit on the slide, so I've made sure the scripture is big so you can turn to it and follow along if you want to and back as well. Um, 
But Hebrews 10.4 says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never be the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year to make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. All those animal sacrifices wouldn't completely take away sin. A perfect sacrifice was needed. And that was Jesus. So when John the Baptist looked and he saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That statement would have been a big deal to anyone standing around John at that time. The, the ramifications, the, the, the hugeness of that statement would have meant something to those people around John when he made that proclamation. Because they understood what sacrifice meant. And to declare that Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice was a huge, bold statement of truth. I, that, that would have meant something to them. I, I can't imagine that time. You know, killing of a, a perfect lamb or goat or whatever was required, depending on the sin and the law at that time. I can't imagine going through that. But these people would have known that firsthandedly. And now to say, Jesus, this man is it, would have stood out to them. But you know what's simple about that whole statement there, when you think about this? And that's just what Jesus did and is. God the Son lived on earth perfectly. He was perfect. He was healthy. He was holy. And the Bible tells us he was without sin again in Hebrews 4.15. Jesus taught others about his kingdom, showed others through miracles he really was the Messiah that they were looking for, and then voluntarily died a terrible death and was the sacrificial lamb of God. And when we talk about that, and if we want to sum all that up, we can say that was the gospel. That right there is the big picture of the gospel in just a small paragraph. You know, gospel is from the Greek word that means good news. Isn't it good news that we can be with the Lord again? And we need to share that. And that, that should drive that answer when we think about that. Isn't it good news that he made a way to take our sins so we could be with our Lord someday for eternity? But again, how does that work? If Jesus died 2,000 years ago, how does his blood sacrifice take away our sins today? Well... It does it the same exact way that it did for everyone who has obeyed the gospel between then and now. The Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians that we have to obey the, to obey the gospel, we have to do this. It, it quotes, And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. Well, we have to obey. We have to do this. But this is another one of those passages that might throw up a little, little bit of scare again. Retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we go back to what is the gospel. 
What is the gospel? Well, turn to 1 Corinthians and let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And I think this is a great summary of the gospel here again. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scripture. Okay, so this tells us again a summary of, the, of what the gospel is. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised. And at its simplest form, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That was the price of sin. He was the perfect lamb that John proclaimed. That's the great news. So then we, as some may know, but we are sort of going to keep considering this through to this point, we have to realize how do we become a part of it? How do we become a part of it? Many denominations will teach at this point that all you need to do is believe on what this says here. To believe that Jesus died for you and to say that you'll follow Jesus. And that's the only problem with only believing in Jesus. Lots of other folks believe in Jesus as well, but they don't obey him. And I think we've got some good examples of that and where this will help us see. But James 2.19 says... You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. It's not enough just to believe. You have to obey. You know, you go, the demons believed in Jesus. They knew who he was. He cast them out of people in the first century. Believing wasn't enough even for the demons or else they'd be there. But you do have to believe, all right? So let me not take that away from it too. You know, this is a building principle. If you have real trusting belief in Jesus, then you're going to want to obey him and be with him. See, that's the difference right there. The demons believed, but they didn't have that believing trust in him that caused obedience. And that's what Romans 6 tells us when we look at this scripture here. As we think about Romans 6, 3 through 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. There it is. When you look at this and you break this down, that's it right there. That's how we obey the gospel. Remember how 1 Corinthians tells us that the gospel of Jesus is his death, his burial, and resurrection? Then Romans 6 tells us how we participate in that. It tells us how we reenact it, you know, you might say. You know, we, we, we mimic it. And I've got an image here that I would like for us to think about here. And we're going to look at this maybe a couple times. And, and, you know, as you look at this on the left side, you know, it's the gospel enacted, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus dies, he's buried, and he's raised. And the gospel being obeyed by us, Romans 6, 3 through 4. We have to die to sin. We're buried in baptism, and I don't know if you can see it there, but there's a, there's a water line kind of across there, you know, to give some imagery to this. And then we're raised out of that new, out of that water. We're a new creature, new creation. Well, we have to imitate Jesus. 
Jesus died, he was buried, he arose from the dead. And when we die to sin and decide to follow him, we repent of our sins, we're buried in baptism, and when we come out of that water, we're a new life with Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the simplicity of it. He didn't make it hard. He made it so anyone could do it. You know, and that's the other grand thing. You know, I can obey the gospel. You can obey the gospel. Every one of us can do that very simply. Well, friends, that's the only way to heaven. That's it. This is how we start the journey towards heaven. We have to do it this way because God is holy. We have sin and only Jesus' blood can take away that sin. That's, that's it. It's simple, but it's profound. I mean, this is the biggest thing when you look at the scale of this. You know, and I know many of you have heard this before. Probably all of you in some way, shape, or form have heard this. And you maybe even heard the, the nice phrase that we, we chalk it up to, the plan of salvation. You know, it's kind of a title that it's given. But I don't want to go over it like it's just some plan or step because this is essential. This, this is the starting point. This is the first step. You know, there, there's no way to enjoy salvation if you don't do this to begin with. But let's step back just a little bit from it. Because how do you learn that? You know, we're sitting here today and we're hearing the words of the scripture right now and we're, we're doing this. But, but there's others that have never maybe opened a Bible or been somewhere where it's been taught. So the cool thing is that everyone here today has done the first thing necessary to be on the path to heaven. You're hearing the gospel today. You've heard it in its most simple form. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus raised again for our sins. You know, God has made a way for us to be with him, and that's the first thing we do. We have to hear the word of God. And most, if I say Romans 10, 17, a lot will, a lot will quote it in their minds probably even, and I hope you can with me. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well... Once you've heard the gospel, which is what you have to do, you have to decide if you're going to believe it or not. And John 3.16 tells us that again. And we've read this once, but I, I, it's one of those things, repetitiveness will get it in your, your brain. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you trust in Jesus and his sacrificial death for your sins? That's what you have to, to come to a, a conclusion of. And you know, I think we have more than just the adult class in here this morning. So there may be some of you in here today that are pondering it. There may be some adults in here that are pondering it. You know, think about this. And when we're done, I'm going to just step out on it here. If we'd have to slow down services for a few minutes because someone needs to obey the gospel today, then don't wait because you want to come at the proper time when the invitation's offered in about an hour and a half. You don't delay this when you hear the plan of the gospel. You act. Amen. But if you do know this, 
and you want to choose to be like him, if you believe he is the true and only God, you'll want to follow him when you think about this. So we're going to keep building on this plan because to follow him, we have a pattern. We have the steps that are necessary. You know, the first time I, I like doing carpentry work. Usually the first time, I have no shame of getting the instructions out and reading them the first time. You probably won't see them around the second and third time that I do it again, but I have no shame on the first time of following the pattern, especially if it's something I spent money on because I'm, I'm tight that way and I don't want to waste my money. But if I'm just doing scrap stuff, I'll ad-lib. But, but you know what? That's this. There is a pattern here. And we have to start on the right spot on the pattern here. We have to hear and we have to believe. And then we're going to go on to Acts 26, 18 and consider here. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them who has been sanctified by faith in me. We have to turn. When we believe, we have to turn away from darkness. We can't keep walking down that path anymore. And I love that this, this says it very hard today and age. You, 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 a lot of people tiptoe around this. We're turning from Satan. We have to be so bold to say so. He's behind these bad things. We have a choice of whether we're going to do what he's trying to do or not. We have to turn from him and go towards God. All right? And that's done by repentance, okay? Bear with me, all right? We're halfway through the things we must do to go to heaven. And again, like I said, I know this is old hat to some of y'all, but don't tune me out here. Stay with me because this point here applies to the ones that have obeyed the gospel. If you've heard the gospel, you've believed it and repented of your sins, like Romans 10, 19 talks about. It says there, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. And for with a heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth of confession, resulting in salvation. Even after I obeyed the gospel, I come back to this repentance more than I like to admit. I mess up all the time, and I have to come back and course correct, pull out my GPS here, recomputing, and, and go back to God. But it's time to tell the world that you believe in Jesus at this point if you haven't obeyed the gospel. This verse tells us to confess Jesus is Lord. After all, at that point you really believe him and you obey him in your life, it's natural to want to tell people about it and shout it out loud. You know, when I get a hold of something good, I, I mean, I'm ready to tell everybody about it. You know, I, you get something I like, you know, think about it. If you like the cats, it's easy to talk about the cats. You'll tell about them. You like cars, you like whatever it is, Pinterest. I'll try to keep both sides, otherwise I'll be all cars and construction. But maybe it's home stuff. If you like it and you know it, you tell people about it. If we think about how often we talk about the Lord with people, do we, do we like it as much as some of those secular things? But we need to. The, the Word of God tells us to here in Romans 10. It's time to shout it out loud. And if Jesus is your Lord, do you admit that to everyone in your words that it's time to really be a part of him? And that's where the reenactment of the gospel comes in again. Let's look at that picture again. You know, at this point is where we're going to mimic him and we're going to die to our old self and be raised anew. That's right. It's baptism. You know, I'm going to say there's water back here. 
One time I said that, and you guys informed me afterwards that you'd fixed a leak and it wasn't actually full, but there's water back here, I'm sure, probably today. You have to die that way. You have to reenact what the Lord said and mimic him, just as Mark 16, 15, and 16 tells us. And he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has not believed shall be condemned. I'm telling you, baptism saves. Not because it's anything special about the water. It's not, you know, special stuff. There's not additives in it. Well, maybe just to keep it clean, but there's nothing crucial about the water. It's water. It's tap water. We could go to a creek down here. We could go to the lake. We could go to someone's oversized bathtub if we needed to. You just have to die like Jesus did and be buried with him in water. Baptism now saves you, 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22 says. Corresponding to that, baptism saves now saves you not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after the angels and authorities and the powers had been subjected to him. Let's hit Romans 6 one more time and read verses 3 through 7 together. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised with the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is free from sin. There's the joyful news right there. Once you're raised up from that baptism, you're a new person in Jesus. You're a Christian. You're a follower of him. My, my expression and my voice probably doesn't inflect it enough, but that's exciting. I, that, that, you don't know. <laughs> I can remember when I was baptized because I fought it for three or four months because I thought I'd been saved an incorrect way on a wrong plan. And when I came out of the water at that time, being old enough to fully comprehend what I did, I wept because I knew I was saved. I understood it. I had a, a true gravity of what just took place for me. And you know, when you look at the crowd that I was with to weep at, there were three or four motorcycles, a couple Jeeps, a couple redneck trucks that had all pulled up to the church building at the same time. And this wasn't a group of guys that you would have thought would have got weepy. But I'm telling you, there were a bunch of us that were excited and so ecstatic because I'd actually obeyed the gospel that we wept together in excitement. It's everything. I'm telling you, if you haven't experienced that, you don't know what you're missing. Young people, middle-aged, older people, if you haven't done that, because I don't know everybody here and who's wearing what, <coughs> it is wonderful. There's no other feeling like it. Once you're baptized and you're raised up that new person, after hearing the gospel, after believing it, after repenting, after having your sins washed away, you now get to live for him. 
what better person to live for? You know, the last part of this, as we think about this and as we look at this, is Revelation 2.10. It says there at the end of that verse, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Man, that's it, my friends. <coughs> Pardon me. You're on the way to heaven if you've done these things. Now, let me show you another image that I'm sure you've seen many times, but it helps me to think this way, and it helps me to think about the thing. God's plan is simple. You know, we've seen this a lot of places. You're going to see this a few more times throughout the week. So uh, it, it, it comes up a couple more times. A little different image, but same principle. But this is how we start the journey toward heaven. And at this point, for all of you who already knew this, if you have done these things, thank you. Blessed are you. Happy you should be because you've done these things. But if you haven't, I want to urge you, you need to consider taking the first step. You know, today I want to kind of wrap up with a, a parable <coughs> to make a point. You know, let's say you want to go somewhere, and I know everybody likes to go different places. So pick your place, but <coughs> I'm going to use Paris, France as my, my example. You know, I want to go to Paris, France, and I'm just going to step off here and get a cough drop from supply. Sorry. <coughs> My throat went hoarse last week, and it's just been kind of honorary, and I know it's all the blooming of stuff, so thank you. Pardon me. <coughs> but I want to go to Paris, France. I want to take a trip. So I pack my bag, right? I buy an airplane ticket, I go get my passport, I get my money together, and then I go to the airport. And there I check my bag in, I go through security, I get on the plane, and where's the plane going? Right? Where did we say? Paris, right, for me? So, so the plane's going to Paris. Well, I buckle in, I sit back, on that flight, I probably put some eye things on and snooze a little bit. <clears throat> and my confidence is, is that in a few hours later, I'm going to be in France. Here's the thing. If I'd done all the preparation for my trip, but I never got on the plane, would I go to Paris? I wouldn't make it to Paris, would I? Of course not. I'd still be at home. If I'd made all the preparations and I'd got on the wrong plane, would I make it to Paris? No, I might be in Australia, which after a few of the deadly animal shows I've seen, I don't think I ever want to go to Australia again. That used to be up there on my list. They've got more spiders and snakes than snakes than you. So we'll just stick with Paris. Of course I wouldn't though. I wouldn't make it there if I got on the wrong plane. Well, I want to tell you, friends, that our trip to heaven is kind of like this trip to Paris. If I do what the Lord's asked, if I've done what he's asked, if I've gotten on the plane, if I've gotten in Jesus, then I can have confidence that my destination is going to be heaven. 
and I can walk confidently towards that goal of heaven because I'm in the right plane, Jesus. Now, I don't want to go too far into other parts of the next lesson, but if I take the right steps for the travel, I'll make it to Paris. If I take the right steps that we've looked at, I can be confident I'll make it to heaven. You know, because I always think of, for you superhero people in here, I always think of Superman coming down and say, remember airline travel is still statistically one of the safest ways to travel. A plane could go down. Jesus isn't going to go down. Jesus is perfect. If we get in him, in his plan, we can be confident to say we're going to heaven. And when you ask that question of a show of hands, everybody else should probably raise more hands now. But I'm not going to do that yet because we've got one more lesson to go before we get in there. But we have to start our walk confidently towards heaven. And that's where we have to go. We have to start the walk. So, you know, this morning I know I, I thought I might have some time for questions. I think, what, quarter till? So I'm a few minutes ahead of time. So I, I, timing this out, it's a little differently than uh, uh, doing a lesson where you just preach. But we have to start the right plan. And, and I guess sharing that and thinking about it, I may even expand a little bit on the, the story of it. And there's, I'm sure, others here that could say this too. But, but that right plan, being in him... Being in and doing this, uh, being taught what this means is a big part of the plan, friends. You know, I thought I obeyed the gospel when I was 13 to what I was taught. But luckily, when I had men that took an interest in me and started talking to me about the gospel and started showing me what the truth of God's word said, I found that book, and I still keep it in my desk at the church building today. Because in that book, I can turn back to one of the pages, and it says, I was saved on this date. And then I go over a couple more pages, and it says, I was baptized on this date. And I was glad I found that. Because when I looked at that, that's what tipped me over the point to when that afternoon, when when Gary Sandusky asked me if I wanted to obey the plan of the gospel, I was able to finally say, yeah, because I looked over it and I saw the plan I'd done. Well, I'd gotten on the wrong plane. I was going to show up in Australia. <laughs> but I was going to show up in Australia on the plane I was on, and he showed me the right one. And it showed differently. It wasn't even by him that she, it was a It was a fellow that had been working on a car and, you know, it's, it's the, the gospel's amazing how it works. But when I, my car was broke, my dad worked with a bunch of guys that were members of the church in Madison. He said, you ought to go with this guy. He's a pretty good mechanic. I went and saw him, and after building a relationship with him, we're going to talk about some of this too a little bit throughout the week and as we talk together amongst ourselves. But he built a relationship with me, and he started giving me little slips of paper with those steps of salvation on it. And he wouldn't even caress me there in person. He'd give me a little folded slip of paper and ask me how I'd, how I'd thought of that one the next time I'd go over and how I'd thought of that. And we finally got to that last point, and I still thought I was okay. And I, I attended services regularly for three months. Jarrah Bronger was the first speaker I'd heard, which all of you all know in here, on a Tuesday night. And I went through for close to two and a half, almost three months 
of going every service, and they just kept being patient with me. And they finally got me to see I was on the wrong plane. If you're on the right plane, it's part of our job to help others see that they're on the wrong plane. And reminders of this and this kind of material hopefully will help us do that. So I don't want to just keep staying up here uh, talking. So we are about five minutes early. So unless there's something that we want to do, I'd be happy visiting with everybody uh, as we go and just have an extra five minutes. So if that's okay, uh, I'm going to call my part done. So.